is Holy Week, but we will be having all of our Wednesday night activities, starting with dinner at 6 o'clock, and then we have Adventure Kids and Youth Group that both start at 6.30, and choir, if you love to sing, choir meets at 7 o'clock. Those are on Wednesday. This Friday, we have a special service. It is Good Friday. Good Friday was the day that Jesus was nailed to the cross and died for our sins. That is the kind of loving sacrifice that deserves a special time of remembrance. And so we do. We gather together, and we are doing that at 7 o'clock, and together we will do that. We will remember God's sacrifice of his son, Jesus, for our sins. We will participate in the sacrament of communion, and we will praise God for his love. 7 o'clock on Friday. And then, next Sunday, following Good Friday, is the best Sunday of the year, right? Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday. And every one of you is invited, and all of your neighbors and friends and family. So um, plan on being here next Sunday, too. There are opportunities to serve. If you would like, you can sign up for one of those at the Welcome Center. Um, But we have a full morning planned. We have breakfast at 8.30, and then at 9.30, we have all sorts of activities for kids, along with an Easter egg hunt. And we will also have a living cross. And that's kind of a cool thing where there's like it's this huge cross with chicken wire kind of wrapped around it. And so there's places to stick a cut flower. So if you will bring a cut flower or two, one for a friend who might have forgotten, um, and then you can place that in the cross and then you can have your family's picture taken with it, um, which will be a really fun thing. So don't forget those flowers. And then at 10.30, the best part, we all get to gather together in here and worship our risen Savior. So plan to be here on Easter. Last but not least, the Sunday after Easter, April 24th, mark your calendars, come back and be here at 6 o'clock. We get the privilege of hearing from a brand new, not having gone yet, missionary couple. Paul and Alexa Frazier will be here, and we get to meet them and hear about God's ministry in Japan, as along with some other Japan ministries that we get to hear about as well. So mark your calendars for that. All of those things are in your bulletin, so you don't have to remember them from what I just said. <laughs> All right. Would you please stand for our call to worship today? It is from Matthew 21. Verse 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Lord and honor to thee, 
seated. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. children are now dismissed for children's church.
oppression to set the captive free to take away transgressions and rule and equity Hail to the Lord's so grateful uh, for what you have accomplished for us. We thank you that your reign has begun. Uh, Lord, you didn't enter into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday uh, to take your place on a royal throne, but you went to Jerusalem to take your place upon the cross. And we thank you that through the cross, uh, you have given us the gift of salvation. And we thank you, Lord, that through the cross, we have the gift of everlasting life. You're not a king that reigned from a royal throne, that ruled from a royal throne, but a king 
that provided true salvation uh, for us and for all people. So Lord, as, as we look at your word today, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would open our, our ears and our hearts to receive what you have today. Uh, Lord, I pray that our, that our hearts would become uh, very uh, serious at the weight of the topic of you entering into Jerusalem and going to the cross for us. And Lord, that, that uh, we, we would take this seriously and we would consider it soberly, um, because Lord, this is, this is the topic which is central and most important and most critical uh, to us and all of humanity. Because without you going to the cross, Lord, we would have no hope, no peace, no everlasting life, no forgiveness, no salvation. So, Lord, lead us now uh, to the cross during this time of Holy Week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Truly is uh, good to see each and every one of you here today. I really am glad that you're here with us. And as we uh, look at God's Word today, we're, we're moving from the very first Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And some people may not realize this, but this is actually one long service. This service will not end until Easter Sunday when the benediction is given. That doesn't mean you're going to have to sit in your pew all week. But the way the, the, people, uh, the people have designed the, 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 the liturgical calendar of the church or the sort of the order of, of these seasons is, is that we would come here and that we would uh, celebrate almost in real time the events that transpired during the last week of Jesus' ministry on earth. So this is Palm Sunday. And we then go to Good Friday at 7 o'clock on Friday. We'll be having a service where we will be remembering Jesus' death upon the cross and why his death truly is good news for all of humanity. But the service doesn't end there. Then we come back on Easter Sunday and we celebrate the reality of Jesus' resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because he is risen, you too are risen from everlasting death to everlasting life. So the way we organize these services is very intentional. So at the end of this, at the end of this service, I won't be giving the benediction, and we will not be singing the doxology because the service continues on Good Friday. And so the, the days between today and and, uh, and, and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I encourage you to open up your Bible and to read the accounts this week on Monday and Tuesday and through Friday, to read the account of Jesus' last week upon earth. And then to get your, your pen out or your highlighter out and to underline or to, to highlight those things in your Bible that speak to you. Because Jesus had a lot to say during the last week of his life. And what he said during the last week of his life is very important to you and to me. So I encourage you this Holy Week to reflect upon Jesus' final week upon the earth. In your devotions and in your prayers and then to reflect what does that mean for me and for my life. So today we, we read the account of Jesus' triumphal entry 
into Jerusalem, each of you received a, a palm, uh, a part of a palm branch, which, you know, traditionally we, we hold those up during the first hymns of the church, those traditional hymns. So maybe next year we'll all remember to, to put them up as we sing. And uh, then after the service, we will be folding, if you'd like to stick around, you can fold those palms into crosses, which is the reminder that, that Palm Sunday leads us to the cross, and the cross leads us then to the resurrection. And you can take that cross home with you as a reminder during Holy Week to spend time in your Bible this week and to spend time in prayer as we prepare for Good Friday and for the celebration of Easter Sunday and what that really means. So the very first Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The people are excited about Jesus. The people are thrilled that Jesus is there. They're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! That word Hosanna or Hosanna, however you want to pronounce it, tomato, tomato, doesn't matter to me. But it means please save. Save us, please. And so they're crying out, Hosanna, please save us. You see, the people were longing for salvation. They were longing for a Savior. And I pray that you and I would have that same desire in our lives, to have Jesus as our Savior and to have Jesus as our Lord. But then we get to Good Friday, and that's where we're going to be picking up on our reading today. Those, those loud shouts of Hosanna are completely different when Jesus is arrested and when Jesus is brought on Good Friday before Pontius Pilate. So we pick up today in Luke chapter 23, verse 18. But they all cried out together, Away with this man! Away with Jesus! And release to us Barabbas! A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! How quickly those shouts of praises turn to shouts of hatred. A third time he said to them, why? This is Pilate speaking. What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries and he, that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus's, Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. 
For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourselves and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, turned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man of the town of Arimathea, He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson. Praise to you, O Christ. Some have posed this question. Why is, is God's judgment so brutal? Why is his judgment so brutal? And, and think about it, God, God's judgment is brutal. All you have to do is look to the cross. And I, and I actually bristle at the concept of God's judgment. I, I don't like to think of the implications of what it means to be under God's judgment. 
It's a horrific thought to be under the judgment of a righteous and a holy God. But then I have to ask myself, do I have a right to be offended to be offended at the reality of God's judgment? Do I have any right to be offended at the fact that God will judge the living and the dead? Am I in any position to judge God, to judge His Word, or to judge His way? You see, in in reality, I, I have no right to stand in judgment over God. I, I have no right to judge the ways of God and the ways that He works with humanity, the things that He do, did and or, the things that He's allowing and the things that will happen in the future. And, and, and when I go to the thief on the cross, he gets it. He gets it better than I do. The thief on the cross, he understands. Listen to what the thief on the cross said. He said, we are punished justly. You and I are punished justly. For we're getting what our deeds deserve. He gets it. The thief on the cross understood. But too often in life, we we place ourselves above. And and we we think of ourselves, uh, as the Scripture says, more highly than we ought. But the thief, he understands. We are punished justly. For we're getting what our deeds deserve. And then he understands who Jesus is. The thief said, but this man, referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. That's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's to understand who we are and who Jesus is. You see, the thief on the cross held a correct view of himself He understood that he was a sinner. Have you come to that point in your life where you recognize that you are a sinner? Have you you humbled yourself like this thief on the cross humbled himself? He held to a correct view of himself and of all of humanity to acknowledge his guilt and to acknowledge his just punishment. Humility, humility, humility with God and before God is a basic component of discipleship. It's a basic component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be humble before God. In uh, the, the Bible, in one of the Gospels, I didn't write my, the reference down here and I don't recall it offhand. Um, in, in the Gospels, Jesus told this story. And this is taken from the Message Bible. Jesus told his next story to some who were, who were complacently pleased with themselves. 
He told this story to people who were complacently pleased with themselves. And looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee posed, po uh, posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax collector slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring look up, said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax collector, not the other, went home, made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What it means to be a Christian. Say, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me. Many people do not view themselves. They don't view themselves with this humility. Many live without humility. Most of those who witnessed the brutal crucifixion of Jesus lacked this humility. Notice that the soldiers gambled for Jesus' garments and they made fun of Him. The religious leaders hurled insults at Him. And the unbelieving thief mocked at Jesus. But isn't this who we are by nature? Can we claim to be any better? Because every time we sin, every time we fail to do the good that we're called to do, are we any better? Are we not the ones responsible for Jesus' crucifixion? All we can say, church, is the same thing that people throughout human history have said before God, Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, save us. Please save us. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Please save us. We need your salvation. Psalm 36 speaks the truth regarding our sinful conditions. Psalm 36 six says that sinners don't respect God. Sin is all they think about. They like themselves too much to hate their own sins or even to see them. They tell deceitful lies and they don't have the sense to live right. Those people stray away thinking up mischief and they follow the wrong road refusing to turn from sin. Some might ask, why? Why is God's judgment so brutal? But I don't think that's the right question. That's not the right question. The right question is this, why is God so merciful? Why is He so gracious? Why does He love people like me and like you? The wrong question is to ask why is, is God's judgment so brutal? The right question is why is He so merciful? And loving. 
You see, God doesn't desire that any be judged, that any fall under the eternal condemnation of God. That is not God's desire for you or for anyone. His desire is that all would trust in Jesus, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is and of what Jesus has done, and to trust in that truth for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of everlasting life. Listen to your Savior as He hung upon the cross, as He hung in agony before those who had just crucified Him. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Him there along with the criminals, one on His right, the other on His left. And Jesus said, this is God's desire for you. This is God's desire for all of humanity. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. God says, I love humanity. I love you. I love all sinners. Forgive them. Forgive them. And then he gives the promise to the thief on the cross. Truly I tell you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Those two promises are yours. You are forgiven of all of your sins. You are not under God's judgment because you trust in Christ. And the gift of paradise is yours. You have Christ today as your Savior. And you have the gift of eternal life forever in paradise with Jesus. It really, it's so difficult for us to talk about these things because none of us can find the words to express the enormity of Jesus' love. It's such a hard thing for me to preach about how do I preach about such a topic as God's love? It's too great. It's too vast. I don't have the words. But know this, the same words spoken from the cross, spoken by Jesus, have been spoken over your life. When you came to trust in Jesus Christ, he spoke these words over your life. You're forgiven. Paradise is yours. That's the promise that was given to you in baptism. The forgiveness of sin, sins belong to you. You have been buried with Christ in baptism and rise. You have been raised with Him to everlasting life. This is the promise that's given to you in the sacrament of Holy Communion. His body broken, His blood shed for you and for your salvation. So I ask the question today, are you living in this good news? Are you living in this good news? Or are you still carrying the guilt of your sin? You see, there is no need for any of us today to be carrying the weight and the guilt of sin. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter where you have been. You're loved. You're forgiven. Live in that freedom today. Find life in that freedom today. 
This is all possible because 2,000 years ago, on that hill where Christ was crucified, God's righteous and holy judgment fell upon Jesus. You see, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. And as Jesus hung upon the cross, the guilt of your sin and of my sin and of the sin of humanity was laid upon him. Jesus took the heat of God's judgment on your behalf so that you can be free today. You're not judged by God. You're not destined to hell. You're forgiven. Paradise is yours. You belong to Him. And how does this work? How does this work? Well, the hymn writer said it best. The murderer they save, the prince of life they slay. The beginning of our reading from Luke chapter 23, but they all cried out together, away with this man, away with Jesus, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection and for murder. Did you get that? They free the murderer. They free Barabbas. And Jesus is the one who was executed. That's a picture of what Jesus did for you. Jesus went to the cross. He was innocent. He had committed no sin. But he went to the cross so that you can go free. It seems to me that maybe the first person that was rescued through the cross was this man Barabbas. Because what happened to Barabbas is what has happened to you. The murderer they save, the prince of life they slay. And this is how salvation works. At the heart of the good news of Jesus is that he took your place and my place. He took your punishment and my punishment. He suffered God's wrath so that we can be forgiven of sin and set free from the condemnation that we deserve. Why would God do this? Why would he send his one and only son to suffer judgment upon the cross for sinners like you and I? Why doesn't God give us what we deserve? One answer. One word. Love. Love. He loves you. Trust in Him. Find forgiveness and life in Him today. Amen. Lord, we